Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Your host, Elaine Lindsay, the eternal optimist who will always start digging where there's a pile of horse shit. Because she knows there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. Please note, this pod covers some heavy topics. Some of it can be triggers. You need to know that I believe humor belongs everywhere. Okay, let's get to the show. My guest, Ken D. Foster, is a philosopher, visionary, author, and syndicated radio show host who delivers high-energy messages that empower audiences to live courageously, tune into their brilliance, and maximize potential. Why did I want to talk to Ken today? Well, Ken has developed science-based, highly practical solutions for stimulating human potential, personal balance, organizational productivity, time management, and authentic communication. But he didn't start out that way. First, he had some growing to do. So that's exactly what we want to talk about, is that growing that you have to do. Ken, thank you so much for being here with me today. Uh, I'm so happy to be with you today, uh, Lane. This is great. It's... uh. It's interesting to me that the subject of suicide and being suicide adjacent, what I say is people that are affected by suicide, people that have lost someone in their circle, people that have come close to attempting themselves, is actually an incredibly huge pool. Because every time I mention the show, every time I talk, about being suicide adjacent, lots and lots of people also dive in with their own stories and the stories of those that matter to them. But the other thing that we also talk about is our journeys because we often come through those very dark nights of the soul and only see how close we came in hindsight. So Ken, I'm going to let you start wherever you want to start. Let's talk about you and your story. Well, my story starts around 1992. At least this story does. And in 1992, I was in Sacramento, California. I was estranged from my children. I was making a lot of money. I was hanging with uh, people that, uh, looking back, I would call them lower companions. Mm -hmm. And I was in a place that I was miserable. So I was in therapy. And I've been in therapy for about a year. And what happened is uh, I started to hear this little voice. And this little voice said, you've got to feel the pain to make the change. Now, at the time, I was in a painful relationship. My body was hurting. I was, uh, was overweight, 50 pounds overweight. I was uh, in poor, poor relationships personally. Uh, mentally, I was just a mess. And I'm hearing this little voice. So I go to the doc, and he says, I say to him, I, I hear this little thing. You got to feel the pain to make the change. And he looks at me, and he says, Ken, 
I can do nothing more for you. You have to follow that voice. Now, remember, I've been in therapy for a year and he's telling me now he can't help me to follow that voice. And as I walked out of his office wondering, what is he talking about? Is this, this, this is insane. Why would he tell me that? I think to my, I hear that voice again, feel the pain and make the change. So I sit with that voice. And that voice brings me to a place where I'm wondering. I'm just in wonder right now. And I'm wondering what is wrong with me? What, is, what do I know is really true? Well, that was the voice of wisdom. That was the voice of courage. That was the voice of understanding. And that voice about uh, a day later, I picked up a phone call, I made a phone call to a recovery center and walked in and my life completely changed. Big guy by the name of Jim said, welcome home. And uh, everything changed for me at that moment. So I've learned to listen to that voice over the years. And that voice is the voice of truth. And we all have that voice within us. And we all have that understanding if we, if we can get still. And, you know, Leonardo da Vinci said, isolation is the price of greatness. Paramahansa Yogananda, one of the sages of the 20th century, said that stillness is the price of greatness. Well, that little voice that I heard, you know, I, I took some time for myself. I isolated myself. I started listening to that voice. And that's the voice that has led me to create multi-million dollar businesses, to find the wife of my dreams, Judy, and marry her 22 years ago, to have relationships with my, all of my family members and my children that are amazing, to, have, uh, to become a triathlete, to become the best version of myself physically, to be able to enjoy life and feel joy in my life, no matter what stage. I've had, I've had lots of money. I've lost lots of money. I've been lived in four or 5,000 square foot homes. I've lived in trailers, you know, but when you find that inner truth, it's okay. You realize that everything is temporary. Everything will pass and everything will get better and better if you tune in, slow down and allow yourself to understand who you are. That was my journey. So that's what happened to me. That is really incredible. First, uh, I think we can say a real thank you to your therapist who is obviously very with it, very, very much uh, in the now. People are starting to understand more and more that our intuition, our mindset has so much to do with how we live our lives. Uh, there aren't a lot of therapists yet that would be um, so helpful and sending you out the door <laughs> to, to basically lose himself a patient was the best thing he could do for you. It changed my whole life. You know, I've, I've never been able to thank that man. I don't even know who he is. I don't remember uh, his name or, you know, I remember he was in Sacramento, California, but he changed everything for me by, by saying, go, go follow that voice. I mean, I walked out of that office and I was like, is he crazy? Am I crazy? I came to him because I'm hearing all this negative, uh, these negative voices. I, you know, I, I would say I was at, uh, at points in my time 
my life. I was definitely in a place where I could have left the planet. I was suicidal. I had suicidal thoughts. I had very depressed. I was very depressed. Um, I didn't go and see that therapist for that. But now looking back in hindsight, that's where I was in, in that place. He had gotten me to a point where I didn't have, have that going on. But I was, uh, I, I was searching. I was like, well, what is, what is life, right? What is life? What, what, is, what is important in my life? Who am I? I was asking those questions. Who am I? What am I about? You know, I at, at that point in my life, I can honestly say I was like a chameleon. <clears throat> I could change colors um, with the environment that I was in, I, it, it, which is a good strength. But it was also I didn't know who I was. So I would just change to please anybody that's in my environment. And, uh, you know, if they had an opinion, I'd, I'd go, oh, yeah, you know, that, that sounds right. And, you know, whether it was an opinion that would take me down a dark path or not. I would just listen to a lot of other people. So I really didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I stood for. And I didn't know what I really uh, wanted in my life at that time. Interesting. Because I was, I think I was 40, 40 something at the time. Yeah. It truly is interesting. And what's really interesting to me is it's like there, it's hard to put your finger on that seminal moment when you suddenly take it within yourself and stop and stop long enough to go inside and actually listen yeah because it doesn't happen to all of us at the same time it it, it doesn't happen to some people who knows may, maybe not ever so is there is there some little thing you can sort of latch on to, something you can share that maybe could help somebody get to their seminal moment a little faster? I think so. What what I've learned is, and, and I've coached about, I don't know, how many thousands of people now over the last uh, two and a half decades. So I became, I became a life coach. I became a business strategist. A, um, you know, I'm a best-selling author. I've written seven books. Uh, the latest one is The Courage to Change Everything, Daily Strategies and Essential Wisdom to Awaken Your Inner Genius, which is that little voice was my inner genius. So how can I help somebody to maybe, uh, maybe uh, subterfuge some of the pain that they're going to go through? Well, I have to tell you, that little voice that said you have to feel the pain to make the change was dead on. Because I, I, I like a lot of people, didn't really want to notice what wasn't working in my life. I, I kind of knew, but I didn't really want to go there. I didn't really want to focus on that. All I wanted to do was be happy and be free and chase whatever I thought would bring me happiness. Unfortunately, I was trying to cut off duality. So we live in duality, right? There's up, down, right, left, good and bad, um, happy and sad. I All I wanted to do is cut off sadness, depression, anything that got me there and just be happy. Wanted to cut off uh, duality. Can't do it. So if, you, if you're listening right now and you're in a place that you're struggling, pain is a great motivator of us, right? But it's also your savior. It's also that place where if you can go into the pain, you can feel that pain, whatever it is, the pain that has a voice to it, it's telling you something. 
And most of the time for me in the early days, it always looked like it was somebody else's problem. My girlfriend was telling me something I didn't like, therefore it's her problem, not mine. I didn't realize she was pressing my buttons. Um, you know, my, my boss at work, he's, you know, he's, he's not giving me great reviews. There must be something wrong with this guy. I'm a really great worker. I don't understand why he would do that. You know, it, it was, it was always looking outside of myself and blaming or shaming somebody else out there. It had really not much to do with me because my ego was so big that I couldn't really allow myself to be humble, to really look at what's going on inside. Over the years, I discovered that humility is a good thing, isn't it? Well, what is humility? I asked myself at one point, why do people want us to be humble? Well, humility is, I looked up the definition and it's the ability to see reality clearly. It's one of the definitions of humility. And I thought, well, you know, that's, that's really what I want. And I think that's what most of us want. So what I do today and what I have taught for many years, my clients, is, a, is an introspection practice, introspection. And every day with dispassion, there's no energy around it. Because if you bring your emotion into this, what I'm about to give you, you're probably going to stop. You won't do it for very long. But what I look at is every day, at the end of the day, what's working, what's not working, and what can I do to improve? Now, imagine, just every day, it's just a simple practice. You know, what's working in my life? I want to notice my wins, breakthroughs, successes, the good things in my life, the joy I'm having. All right, I want to notice that. Sometimes we forget, we get so hung up in the, the busyness of the world, right? So I notice that. What's working? What's not working? Wow, I got to notice that. Because if I, if I don't realize that things aren't working, maybe the relationship's not working. Maybe my spiritual life's not working. Maybe my, my health is failing. Maybe I'm overweight or underweight. Or maybe I'm, I'm feeling um, uh, I, I need to change my job. It's just not working, right? Then it's what can I do to improve, right? And that's where it takes the courage from my point of view. Um, you know, it takes courage to, to change. And all of us are seeking, you know, we all want balance. We want certainty. We want security. We want things just to be the same. But I found that that's not how we grow. <laughs> and we're all here growing, evolving, learning, becoming the best version of ourselves, whether we're aware of it or not. I remember years ago in school, I read Don Juan Castaneda's uh, works on a Yaqui way of life. He was a, he was a sorcerer from, from Mexico. Sorcerer meaning he was seeking, he came, his information came from the source, from God. That's what a true sorcerer is. And this man um, said to me in those books, he said, there are a lot of walking dead. I didn't know what it meant at the time, but I did after I woke up because I was one of them. I was the one that was just dead within myself. I was no, there was no spark of creativity, of divine uh, information flowing through. I was just walking through life, programmed by society, programmed by my parents, programmed by my peers, just walking with these subconscious beliefs through life, thinking that I was doing something, thinking that to go out and 
get a job and get married and get the house and get the car. And, and now somehow I'm supposed to be happy. Well, for me and for millions of other people, that, that's not happiness. Happiness is an inside job, right? So when I started to wake up, I started to realize within myself and within everybody is this, this voice that speaks to us daily. I remember I was at a workshop. It was at a Unity Church, and it was in the evening. And I was there with a couple of my friends, and there was a couple on stage. Uh, I believe it was the Hendersons. And they, were, they, they had a ceremony that they were performing on stage, and they gave everybody this little uh, square rock. It was, it was uh, white on both sides. And they had, there was a biblical quote that they had quoted. I don't remember what it was at the time about writing on a, on a rock. Um, and they asked us two questions. They took us into a meditation. They asked us two questions. And the first question was, who, who, um, what is your, what is your path? What is your uh, mission in life? What is your mission in life? And then the second question they ask is, who is your spiritual teacher? I had, I had, remember, I'm at a place in my life, I, I have no idea even who I am or what I'm doing. Okay, so I, I go into this meditation, I come out, I write on the one side of the rock, abundant teacher. It's my mission in life. The other side of the rock, I wrote the words Shankara. Never heard that word before, never thought about that word before, don't know what Shankara is or uh, had no idea. <clears throat> but this is how we wake up, okay? So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm walking uh, down the street one day and I, I, I go into this bookstore and I see this book and it's by uh, an author by the name of Paramahansa Yogananda. And... I picked that book up and I just open it up, thumb through it, open it up. And sure enough, there's the word Shankara in this book. And I'm like, what is this? What does Shankara mean? So I look and, and Shankara was a, <clears throat> uh, was a yogi. And he was uh, an individual that revised the uh, yogic uh, tradition back in his day. And he, uh, he, there was a lineage of yogis. And at that Shankara uh, was linked to the current yogi, which was Yogananda. And I thought, that's interesting. So that's, uh, I thought that was interesting at the time. I didn't know what to make of it. And uh, I, I know you want to talk because I'm going on with this story, but I want to tell you, I want to finish this story. It's an incredible story. So at one point, <clears throat> I'm... I've woken up, I've decided to quit my job, and now I'm, now I've become this life coach. And <clears throat> so I, I coach for about a year, I wake up, and I realize that I have no idea how to, how to market myself, and I'm dead broke. So my path leads me to Tony Robbins, and I apply to go to work for Tony Robbins, and I beat out 500 people to get the position. I get this position. Now I'm at Tony Robbins, and I'm there for maybe six months, and I'm wondering, where does Tony Robbins get all his information? I'm just asking that question. He calls me to his office one day, and sure enough, uh, he's late, and I'm there, and I see his library, and I think, wow, 
where does he get this information? Well, I look and I find out that he's got 20 books and they're all written by this yogi that I've read this book earlier about Paramahansa Yogananda. And I'm like, that's interesting. So I thought, wow. And I really admired Tony. I really admired his, his, uh, his brilliance and his wisdom. And I thought, oh, I need to start reading these books. What happens? You know, a week later, I'm at a garage sale and there's all these books and all the tapes and everything from Yogananda, right? They're for sale for $25, so I pick them up. All right. So this is that I'm telling you the story and I went on a little long for it. I'm sorry about that. But I want you to know, as we wake up, everything we need starts to show up for us. It's, it's synchronistic. It, there's miracles, magic, and synchronicity that start showing up every, everything you need to transform whatever it is in your life, right? So I'm going to stop there, Elaine, and, and I know you've got more questions for me. Would not be more perfect. What you just said, first of all, is why you're on the show today because when we are when we know when we listen we end up in flow and everything sorts itself out and you just explained that so beautifully i just i had a couple of things i i wanted to go back to you talk about the duality and you talk about um you were just you know cutting off one side that's it that's what we do we try to anesthetize ourselves into not feeling because yes we're looking outside for happiness and that's not where it resides happiness is a choice joy is a choice it's not something that you walk through or you wander into or you find at a garage sale it's, it's something we choose and, and the effort has to be there. And I, I love that you went through Tony Robbins and the yogis and um, yeah, I think Tony Robbins is quite amazing. All the work he's done. I know someone else that worked with him for a very long time and has nothing but great things to say. And when you're open to improving your life, when you're open to really getting on a path to help yourself to take on a mindset that works for you, not against you. Like you say, you got to start with the pain. And it does have a message and you can only run away from it for so long. Yeah. You know, no matter matter who you are. All pain has a message, you know. Tell you another quick story because it kind of related to Yogananda. I, uh, you know, when when Stephen Jobs, <clears throat> the founder of Apple Computer, he he planned everything, right? He was a planner, and he also planned his funeral. And when everybody came to that memorial service at the end, when he had passed, they were all given <clears throat> a little brown box. And when they, uh, all the people at the service got this brown box and when they opened it up, it was that same book (laughs) that I had found. Paramahansa Yogananda's Autobiography of a Yogi. 
And Stephen's last message to us was self-actualize. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about self-actualizing and how do we actually do that? You know, I, I studied near-death experiences. <laughs> and I, I think in the United States today, I think there's been over 100,000 documented near-death experiences where people have died, they go into the light and they come back. And the ones that have studied this for years, one of which the founder was Dr. Raymond Moody. Uh, if you haven't seen his work, I, uh, I encourage you to um, uh, check it out. But he, he was kind of the, back in the 70s, he was when everybody thought a near-death experience was something that uh, people were making up, right? They, they absolutely, the skeptics were out there, the scientists, there was no science around it. There's a lot of science around this now, right? And so, Everybody that seems to come back from that experience comes back and they have, they've gone through this tunnel. A lot of them re really say that. They've come out of body. They might be in an operating room. They're standing above their body. They can hear everything in the conversation. So <clears throat> there's enough people that have done that. We realize today that we are not our bodies. We are not our minds. We are, we are a soul. We are a spirit. We, they come out of body. A lot of them go into the light. When they go to the light, they feel this exquisite peace and joy. They see this light that is brighter than the brightest sun. Um, some, some of them experience teachers such as uh, whatever their spiritual path was, whether it's Buddha or Jesus or Allah or, um, or some of the other saints or sages. Um, they'll, they'll see uh, uh, some of the, those folks will appear. A lot of times family members will appear to them. And so they're having this experience. Uh, I, I remember Anita Morjani, uh, she wrote a book. Uh, she went into light. She had, uh, she, she was, all, her body had shut down. Basically, they were giving her hours to live. She went into light. She came back and realized that she had created all this illness, all this sickness in her life, in her body when she was in the light, came back and within 30 days <clears throat> had healed her body of stage four cancer or stage five. She was dead. So she healed herself and and come back and 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 uh, goes out and she teaches this work to the world. Now my point around this is this: you don't have to have a near death experience <laughs> and go into the light. I was always grateful, you know. I I did the work. I didn't have to go do the near death experience to get it. And I'm, and and I think I think a lot of us we're grateful for that. We don't have to go in and have the massive cancers or the heart attacks or the or the stroke or the or the car accident or you know some some other uh out of body that's going to take us into an outer body experience but if we do the work if we feel the pain to make the change we start to get on this path and we start to learn the lessons and we start to we start to realize pretty early on that if we just ignore things they get more painful. They, we go through more challenges. We go through more suffering, right? If you if you don't pay attention to what you're eating and your diet, eventually you get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And trust me, I've been there. I'm in over 50 pounds overweight. And I realized when I got there, I didn't want to live it there because what was happening for me is I was starting to follow the path of my, my, my parents and my grandparents. I was starting to get pain in my hands. Arth they all had arthritis. 
I was starting to be shortness of breath. My parent, my dad had heart, heart challenges. I was starting to slow down and get this big belly and get thick, just like my grandmother had done. And I had started to be sick on a continuous basis. Like that was pretty normal in our family. And I realized that if I didn't stop that, if I didn't break that pattern, that what my my destiny was, I could see my destiny because my family was showing me the way they'd already been there. I saw that destiny. And I thought, you know, that's not my destiny. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to feel the pain of having to switch my diet, having to relearn how to eat, having to sometimes starve myself is what it felt like. It wasn't really true. Um, I probably could have gone I don't know, six months without eating anything because I gained so much weight. Um, and that's an exaggeration. Of course, I couldn't have gone six months without eating because I didn't have the understanding how to do that at that time. But um, the point is this, is that I had to feel the pain to make the change. And so I did that in, in that area. And it was painful to lose that weight. It was hard. Um, then I thought, well, how do I create you know, this is interesting. This pain thing is interesting. So, if I were to create my own pain, hope pain, maybe I could stay fit for life. Hmm, interesting. So, I thought, well, what, a, what, a, what would happen? I always love to run. Maybe I'll go start walking first because I had this knee injury that was 10 years old and I hurt myself playing volleyball and had this knee surgery. And I thought, well, I can't really run because I've got a bad leg. And, you know, and of course that leg helped me to get lots of pain medication over the years and helped me get out of a lot of things because I had a lot of excuses around why I couldn't do things. But so I thought, well, maybe I'll, 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 I'll walk first, right? And then, then that was kind of okay. And then I thought, well, <clears throat> maybe I can get a treadmill and start walking faster. And I started to learn how to do that, right? And, but it was painful. It was hard. I didn't, didn't necessarily want to do that. But I thought if I created my own pain, maybe I wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of just letting my body go and do what I did with the food, right? Maybe I could just stay in a, in a good way. And I learned that over the years that, you know, pain is something that seems like I'm creating inside of my head anyway, right? It's the suffering. Right? Maybe I could get rid of that in my head. Maybe, maybe running wasn't uh, what I thought it was. And um, that was about the day I met a guy by the name of Goss Lindsay. Goss Lindsay, he had um, run uh, uh, under four-minute mile in high school. And he was 19 when he met me. And I was in my 40s. And uh, I was out on the sand and the beach in uh, San Diego and uh, running by the, beach, by the water. And uh, Goss came up to me and says, oh, it looks like you want to be a runner. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm really, really trying to get, get running. He says, he told me this weird story. It's just a weird story. He told me about this Indian story, a, a myth about um, this giant Indian that would start out running and his uh Feet, you know, the, the, the Indian tribe, the kids would start to follow this, this fellow running, but he would go so fast that they couldn't follow him. And he, they would only see his footsteps, and his footsteps kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Weird story. Until they'd see these giant footsteps that were 
like a hundred yards apart. And the story was a story really of us. It was a story of how to transcend our limitations. And I thought, you know, I'm limiting myself as to who I think I am as this runner. I think what I am is I think I can do what I, I think I can do this. I think I can start running. I think I can be a runner. And it something just shifted in me. God's helped me shift that. And I realized that in within me is the potential to run, the potential to do a whole bunch of things I wasn't doing. I'm telling you the story for only one reason, because if there's something inside of you right now that you put on hold, maybe you think you're too old. Maybe you think you're too young. I've got a lot of stories about people that were too young that, uh, that thought they couldn't accomplish great things. But those are just limitations that either somebody programmed into you or you you took on. You got to take personal responsibility for it. You got to own it. But there are no limitations in this world. There are only limitations that we put on ourselves. And I know a lot of people question me about. Oh wait, you know, I've I've uh, I've I've lost a limb. I I have I have I have no 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 limb. Well, I have a friend of mine that lost his arm and, you know, he's he's become a comedian. He tells one arm jokes and, you know, he's taking his life to a completely new level. Right. Um, he's helping boys, boys to men. Um, there's there's just so much potential that he didn't realize he had in him. And it's not about a physical arm. It's about his inner mind, his potential to expand who he is. So wherever you are in your world. I guess, you know, if there's a limitation that you're feeling, but you're feeling called to overcome it, go ahead, go feel the pain, <laughs> go make the change. Why not? Somebody's got to do it. And if it's not this lifetime, maybe it's another lifetime that you'll end up doing this. Just thought I'd throw that in for kicks. <laughs> I, I am jumping out of my chair because you are hitting oh my god all the high notes this is like the best concert ever of wonderful thoughts i so am in touch with everything that you're saying and i want i want people to understand yes everything everything is possible yeah. I know. I sat on the sidelines for almost 40 years. I know that you can change things. And I like to say we have to learn to call on courage. And you've added an incredible piece. So when we call on courage to allow us to feel the pain so that we can change, I think that's absolutely incredible. And you've given so many incredible books that, that I'll make sure that we have the list along with the show because they're phenomenal. I wanna add one and ask what you think. Uh, many years ago, my best friend um, who has left us now got me a book for my birthday. Uh, it was my 50th birthday. And the book is The Little Engine That Could. <laughs> I love it. And I, think me, I, I, think I, yeah. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And that 
was like the turning point for me to start questing even further. So you're absolutely correct. It is never, ever too late to start to be great, to, to be different, to improve. You know, the neuroscientists are telling this <clears throat> that the mind influences the genes and the genes influence our physicality. And the mind is the cause of our bondage and the mind is the cause of our liberation. Mm -hmm. That was a quote by Paramahansa Yogananda that I really related to when I heard that. I said, yeah, it's the mind. And I really started thinking about this spirit, this mind, this how does it how does it all connect? And so how I, how I put it together logically, and it's not necessarily this way, but for me, it's it's everything comes out of this thing we call the universe, the zero point, everything. God, what you know, what what's your word for it? And out of this universe comes individual souls, of which I'm one and you're one. So the universe is is over the soul or oh, the soul is over the mind, right? The mind, think of the mind. So what is the mind? Well, in, in this case, what I'm talking about is that it's the um, super conscious mind. Let's talk about that. This is the uh, storehouse of all wisdom of everything. Okay. Soul is over that. Now over that super conscious mind comes the, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, conscious, subconscious. Conscious mind is everything we see, taste, touch, feel, smell in this moment right now. You're connecting with me and your conscious mind. And the subconscious mind is really everything we've experienced in the past, in this lifetime and other lifetimes and uh, the way that I think. And so this, the, the, the mind then, okay, super uh, conscious, subconscious is over our willpower. Our willpower is over our emotions. So when you will it, when you when you are connected deeply, and when your willpower is on fire, when it's like a match that you could strike the match or a flare, it's on fire, right? Then, then your emotion, like you might feel, wow, I'm ready to go out and go do something, go run, go go bike, go go create a, a, a new book. Your emotions starts to fire up. So the mind is, uh, again, the uh, will is over the emotions. Emotions are over our actions, right? If we're feeling good, we, 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 get, we start taking amazing action. Actions are over our results, and the results are over our destiny. Hmm. Wow. So we have no faded destiny. We have no, there's no such thing as fate. Although in, when I was a sociologist and we studied, um, who is it, Durkheim or one of them that uh, said, you know, is it, is it destiny in man or man in destiny? Well, it's both, okay? We, uh, we are destined to live a certain way um, unless we choose to be free. Unless we choose to free ourselves from the programming that's stuck in that subconscious mind. And that programming, the way that I look at it, is a kind of a rust. 
over the soul, right? It's limiting us from seeing the brilliance in the soul of the super the soul and the superconscious mind. It stops us. It's like this filter um, that stops us from seeing reality clearly, from being able to perform at the levels that we have the potential to perform. It, we might even get glimpses over our lifetime of greatness, but it's just a glimpse and you're like, wow, that was interesting, but that's not how I can live consistently. <clears throat> but if you're ready to step into the genius that's within you, and what is the genius? The genius is really us tapping into the superconscious mind. Listen, Einstein said, all I want to know are the thoughts of God. The rest are details. Why did he say that? He knew. He knew. He asked questions. He was a brilliant questioner. By the way, one of the books that I did write was called Ask and You Will Succeed, right? Ask and You Will Succeed. It's a thousand and one ordinary questions to create extraordinary results. And it's broken down into 35 different categories of life. I realized that Socrates, that Einstein, that the great minds were asking questions that were unlike questions that I was asking, that's for sure. I was asking questions before I wrote that book of, you know, why, why does my life seem to suck? Why is it so hard for me? Why, why, why is my family the way they are? Why am I the way I am? Why, you know what? I was, it was kind of a questions of, uh, they're almost victim questions. And I realized that I need to change up my questions. So I started to ask, well, how do I do this? How do I get, how do I become more enlightened, more powerful, more, how do I create more wealth? How do I get a better relationship? And I, my mind, was going to this blank is going to i don't know how i don't know how i don't know how i was like well that's really weird so how did einstein and all these other people use their mind to ask these questions that got them you know einstein uh, asked the question uh, what would it be like to ride a light beam of light he asked it for 10 years and he came up with e equals mc squared right the theory the general theory of uh, special theory of relativity wow it changed everything for us. We got to see things differently in the universe as we realized what that theorem actually meant. Talked about energy, how energy works, right? How come my questions weren't working? Then I realized I was asking the wrong questions and I needed to throw out how. How? In that book that I wrote, Asking You Will uh, Succeed, there's not one how question in the book. But there are what questions, there are why questions, there are when questions. So if I ask the question, what's a, um, what is, a, 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 my mind is going to a, another story of, of Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield who wrote the uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul series. <clears throat> when I was writing my book, they, no coincidence, they were on stage telling me their story about how they came up with the title of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And what they did was they asked a what question. They asked what would a best -selling, mega best-selling book title be? And they asked it several hundred times. And I think it was Jack that woke up in the middle of the night and went, chicken soup for the soul. It just came to him. He was asking what questions. 
So I realized at that time, I needed to ask more powerful questions and they needed to be questions like, what are the next three steps I can take to have a quantum breakthrough in my business? That's a different question than why is this not happening for me? And I thought, what if I were able to put questions to use in my life in all different areas? What has to happen for me to have a, a relationship that's a 10 instead of a three? <laughs> those, those questions changed everything and they will change everything for you because we have to start to use the mind in a way that focuses it in a direction that will help us to break through of that rust in the soul and the limitations we've placed on ourselves. You, you are an absolute font of brilliance. And, and I'll say now, I think your questions are right up there with Einstein. That's incredible. And it, it's funny, I, I can be a very literal person in my, my work life. And being very literal, you do tend to focus on how. How do I teach the clients to do this? How do I show them how, how, how? And those aren't the questions that, get, that really get you anywhere. Well, they, if you, if you are, let's say, and it, it, uh, a master at whatever your craft is, how questions might work for you. But I can guarantee you, if you're starting out and you're going into the unknown, then you probably want to ask a question that starts with what. And I, I think, you know, why, by the way, what questions will take us out, expand our mind? Why questions will take us deep? Why, uh, why am I feeling so powerful today? <laughs> Might take me back to the time when, oh, that's, that's, that's when I shifted. I know why. I started my day with gratitude. I started my day giving my mind the command you are awake and ready. Oh, that's why I'm feeling so good today. Oh, I know why. I know why. I'm with Elaine and her. She's just, she's, she's, her and I are sharing this energy together. We're connecting to this energy that's flowing through both of us right now. That's why I feel. So it's, it's, it's how we, it's those appropriate questions that we ask that take us into the unknown. They'll either take us out or they'll take us deep. But the how, for a lot of people, it just stops us. It gets us stuck. Yeah. 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 How, how can definitely get you stuck. And, and it's not as relevant to who you want to become as the what and the why. Right. Which is incredibly interesting. And to take this back to the whole premise of the show, you're showing people just what is infinitely possible. You are giving us the what of how to go forward. What do we need to do to elevate how we feel, to go through that pain and get to that change? It's 
It's about the what and the why. I kind of like that. I like to make things a little bit simple. You know, we are, we're all, let, let's face it, there, there's, there's a lot of struggle here on this planet. I, um, at one point, I, I could really only see through the eyes of addiction. And I, I just thought, this is the planet of addiction. Everybody, I can't, I, all I can see are people that have addictions, you know, whether it's health, uh, you know, with food addictions or shopping addictions or drug addictions, alcohol addictions, addictions to relationships, <laughs> whatever it was. I only had those eyes to see that. And that's what I saw. I've, I've come to realize, to, though, <clears throat> that this is really the planet of unlimited possibility. And this is really the planet that we can, we've been given these bodies, we've taken these bodies. These bodies are here to help us. They, they, everybody's body, it's like a, what do I want to say? Almost a tuning fork. It, you know, if, if you're in high, you hit a tuning fork and, and you, can, you can hear the vibration, right? And, you know, it's vibrating at a certain level. Um, you know, if the fork's bent at all, you're not gonna you're not gonna get that. So our bodies are that way. We we can tune into our bodies and we can notice, you know, how do I feel? Now, how weird is this? It's um, I use this in business all the time, and I didn't always have this skill set. But <clears throat> when I bring a business partner in, I'm tuning into not so much the words they're saying. I'm tuning into the energy and the vibration that they bring in. And I, it, they will be speaking words. I, I just went through this with, uh, with one of my business partners and you know, our, opinion, our opinions were different. And I had this opinion that, um, not opinion, I had this vision of where this business is gonna go. And um, this fellow came in and he said, well, I think we need to get there by uh, a strategy that he gave us. And the strategy, I could feel it in my body when he was speaking, the vision of my business just like almost collapsed. I couldn't even get the vision again. It was a feeling. I was like, this is really weird. But I realized today that when I feel like that, that's okay, you know, it's his opinion. But we're, everything is energy, everything is vibrating here. And if we're tuning into that inner energy, that vibration, it's guiding us to the right choices. Intuition is 100% accurate, 100%. And we deny our intuition. I can't tell you how many times I've denied mine. Uh, great story around that. When I was learning my intuition, Judy and I, my wife and I, would uh, we got together and she, we'd get in the car together, we'd drive and she'd say, Ken, turn left. And I'd go, no, no, honey, um, I've been that way. It's a lot longer. We don't want to turn left. And I'd turn right. And sure enough, we'd hit traffic. I'm like, this is weird. We, I must have done this 20 times with her. And finally, I was like, oh, it's her intuition. <laughs> so she was very patient with me. And she, um, she really allowed me the space that I needed to learn that for myself. And when I got it, I, I thought, I, I'm going to start to listen in and tune in to not only her intuition, but how I feel inside of me. And that was the start of me developing that intuition. That's 100% accurate. It's, it's uncanny what intuition will do for us. <laughs>
Absolutely. And, and it's a tool like anything else that you can hone. You can work with that tool to make better decisions in all areas of your life. You, you just have to make that decision. You choose to either use it or go against it. And we all know what happens when you go against it. Yeah, people ask all the time, how do I know if it's intuition or if it's uh, if it's something else? And I would say that in the beginning, I didn't know. I mean, I made I made poor choices, <clears throat> but I noticed I, I, I set my intention because intention is so powerful. <clears throat> I set, set my intention to develop, as Elaine was just saying, to develop my intuition. And it took a while and it's, it's something that I've learned and, and I don't know how this works yet, but I will someday. I do know this, <clears throat> the deeper I go in meditation, the more intuitive I become. And here's what I get. My, my, my get is thinking is a little overrated. <laughs> I, 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 it's good to, you know, thinking is we use the mind as a tool, but if we're only using our logic and we're not feeling into it, we're cutting off. Like I tried to in the beginning, cut off half duality. We're cutting off half of our brilliance by just using a logical uh, piece. And we really need to, as a society, honor that intuition and start to bring that in the corporate boardrooms more and more yeah. and bring it into our home lives with our children, with our families, um, you know, little children. I'm with my grandchildren right now. I'm in uh, El Cajon, California, and I'm visiting them and, and they, they have a, they're very close to the light They're They have just come in some of them. Right. And when they come in, they're, they're, they're like little pure beings and they, they're open, you know, scientists are studying how are they so open? Well, they're completely open because they're not thinking they're, they're intuiting everything and they're getting downloads from my little two-year-old grandson and Josiah, Josiah took me out this year into the, his front yard and we were holding hands and then he stopped and he pointed up into the sky and he said, look, grandpa, look, look up there, look up there, look, grandpa, look, he was all excited. And I looked up and all I could feel was this energy, but I couldn't see anything. And I said, Isaiah, are you seeing the angels? He says, yes, grandpa, the angels, they're right there. They're right there. The veil is very thin for those little ones, but the veil can become thin for us too. And that's for me, that's the meditation. I've, um, I've learned over the years to follow those that have gone before me that are wise, that have incredible, brilliant lives. They're living richly in all areas of their life. They're happy. They're joyful. They have financial wealth. 
to have families and relationships that work. Mind you, nobody's like perfect. <laughs> Everybody is that I've met. It's probably because I'm still perfecting myself. I'm sure there's some perfect be beings on the planet. And but what I want to say is when we get into our our intuitive knowing, that place that we were just talking about earlier, that place where that little two-year-old can see the angels. And we allow ourselves to realize that maybe we've been overusing our, our mind. Maybe, maybe this is the time we need to step back from our life a little bit and go within and start to, on a consistent basis, change up what we're doing. Lane and I were talking about this before we came on the show, and we were talking about discipline. <clears throat> you see, discipline has been the uh, key factor in my life to change everything. It was the discipline to learn how to let go of the foods and not, uh, not eat the foods that were blowing me up you know, to 50 pounds overweight. It was the discipline to learn how to run, you know, discipline to go out and do it consistently until I became a runner. It was the discipline uh, that took me into the unknown and learned how to ride a bicycle. It was a discipline for me. I was a swimmer at, at a young age, but I had to relearn how to swim because techniques have changed so much. It was, it was a discipline to learn how to change up everything. It was discipline that changed my life. And it'll be discipline that changes yours or, or not. But for me, I remember along the, my path, one of my friends came in and he says, can just do the worst first. <laughs> do the worst first in the morning. Do those things that you don't want to do, but you know you need to do. And, you know, I practiced that for, oh, maybe two, three years. And I found that, wow, that, that's really cool. If I do that consistently, my life seemed to get better and better. And I got a lot accomplished because I got the things off the plate that I didn't want to do first, right? But it was a discipline. It was a practice. Right? Yeah. Oh, I absolutely love that. And, and the fact that I'm such an incredible level, uh, excuse me, rebel. The first time you said the word discipline, some of my insides backed away from the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And then as you said it more and more and went into the explanations, it became more palatable. And I realized that discipline as well is a choice. We, we have the choice. At the end of the day, all of it is our choice. And I realized that in a number of areas, like you say, uh, food and sports and business, and business, all of it is empowered when you discipline yourself. Yeah. And I really love that, do the worst first. I'm gonna have to try that. Because <laughs> if you get the worst out of the way, yeah, that just makes the day better. I totally get that. I do start and end my day with gratitude because it, it matters to me and it allows me to sort of go to sleep with 
nothing unfinished, you know, having gratitude for that. And in the morning, the first gratitude is the fact that, that I am, as my father says, still upright. <laughs> Some format. So that's something to be very grateful for. But the discipline, it's interesting. My, my father was a military, or my father is a, a, a military man. He's now a, a veteran. But discipline was a big part of our lives because it, it made life function better. And I think that, you know, sometimes when we try to, you know, split the duality, when we try to, to run away from, from the pain, whether that's pain of, you know, unhappiness or relationships or, or addiction or whatever, it just makes it all that much harder when we get to the point that it all catches up with us. And there again, we have that choice. I, I love the concept of choosing that discipline and making it work for you. But like you, I firmly believe that meditation has been the, one of the saving graces definitely in my life. And everyone that I know that meditates really does find it centers you, it grounds you, it, it gives you the impetus to do more. Yeah. What well, connects us with God connects us with the infinite. Yeah, absolutely. And, you absolutely. know, when we, you know, for me, I put God first and everything else yeah. follows. And, um, you know, discipline, uh, Stephen Covey uh, wrote a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Effective he could have just called that book The Seven Disciplines of Highly Effective People. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, we in the, in the West, we don't necessarily like the word discipline because we've been disciplined as a child or, you know, we use it in a negative way. But <clears throat> discipline is a very positive word that when we can embrace it and words do matter to our consciousness when you can embrace oh, yeah. that and feel your own uh, you feel that uh, thank you elaine for that when you felt that that resistance you're like whoa okay i'm feeling that you know what is that and is that something i you're, you're making the point is that something i need to hold on to or can i shift around that right and poof can i let that go that's how we attain freedom that's how we allow ourselves to be free from old programming. So there's some little program in there that was like discipline. You're going to be disciplined. You're, you know, you don't have enough discipline in your life. Whatever the negative messages were, but it's like that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about transformation. We're talking about letting those those uh, you know the body holds on to everything, right? We feel it, right? You know, I mean, and, and just to make a point, I mean, think of a. Think of a, a song right now that uh, as a child, you really connected to, right? Yeah, you know, whatever that is for you, whatever that song is, right? And, and just, you know, that song that brought you joy in your life, whatever that is, you know? I, what's coming up for me is I can't get no satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. I don't know why that came up, it just came up. But I put a smile on my face. We feel it in our body because the memory is stored there. The memory is stored, right? So when you can release it, when you can release it, it, it changes. I, uh, 
I've had so many teachers along the line. One of my teachers was a fellow by the name of Hale Dorskin out of Sedona. And he studied uh, uh, with a guy by the name of Lester Levinson. And Lester was a fellow that was diagnosed uh, with, uh, I'm not sure what his diagnosis was. I do know this. He was in the hospital and they gave him 30 days to live. And they said, you're going to leave the planet. And he was very wealthy at the time. He owned a bunch of apartment buildings. He was, but he was miserable. He's a miserable human being. And he said to himself, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die happy. And so he asked himself uh, three questions. And those questions can transform your life as they transform my life and transform millions of people on the, on the planet. It's called the Sedona Method now. But the three questions were this. Could I let it go? And would I let it go? And when? So he thought about the people, right? He, he was upset with, and he would, he would ask those questions, right? And he, he thought about the, the partners that, you know, that, uh, that cheated him and, uh, you know, the wives that left him. And, you know, all, and he just said, I'm going to be happy. And he made a conscious choice to let go of what's in there. Some of us are really good at, you know, if you practice that for a while, you can get pretty good at it. Um, but what I've also found is that there's things underlying the surface. They're in the subconscious mind. And we're not, they're not, you know, the things that happened in your childhood, the things that happened uh, when you, you know, were hurt, when you, when you felt guilt, when you felt shame or pain or misery or suffering, and they're, they're, they're in this body, they're, you're holding on to it. And here's the cool thing though, it only takes choice to let it go. If you realize that in this moment, you have conscious choice right now to let go of anything that has been in your past. And I'm talking deep, dark things that are, uh, that are there. You can actually make a conscious choice to release that and be able to free yourself, maybe not in the memory, but definitely of the emotion that's in the body. That's what Lester found out. He gave those three questions. Well, those three questions are great, but they didn't go into the subconscious mind. So what I did is about 20 years ago, I developed a process and it's called the release process. And that process helps you to start with your childhood and go up through grade school and grammar school and high school and college, military, whatever you were, all the way up to your present moment. And um, as I you know, established earlier on, I'm pretty much a master of asking the right questions. <laughs> I've learned how to do that, to get to people's subconscious. So I help you to pull out those memories with specific questions so that you can look at it. It's like, if you can acknowledge it, you can change it, right? Think about that. Acknowledge it, to bring it up. You know, it can acknowledge, that can change it. By the way, the reverse is true too. If you can't acknowledge it, you can't change it. There's something going on and you're just pretending like it's not there. Probably not gonna change, right? So this release process you will go through and it takes people about maybe three hours to six hours the first time. Uh, by the way, I've been doing the release process myself and my wife, Judy, for about the last 20 years since I developed this, every year on December 31st. Why? Because 
we've learned that we don't want to bring any kind of old baggage into the new year. We make a conscious choice. So if you would like that process, it's yours for free. All you have to do is go to my website and go to Ken D. Foster, K-E-N-D is in Donald, F-O-S-T-E-R.com and scroll down on the homepage and sign up to get the release process. That's how simple it is. The only thing I'd ask you is to, if you start it, complete it. You don't want to go down in the subconscious mind and just stay down there. You want to start it, get in and get out and release what's there. And I will say this for most people, it's a process. It was for me. I recommend my clients do it every quarter for the first year, um, every six months for the second and third year, and then at least once a year thereafter. I think when you do it, you'll go, you'll realize why I say that. So I hope you'll check it out. CandyFoster.com. It's up on the screen and go ahead and get that process. Why not? Listen, clear that rust that's over the soul, start to become more at choice. You, everybody has what I call chronic karma <laughs> for, for lack of a better word, right? Chronic karma. There's some energy around karma, but let, let's just use it as chronic challenges that are in your life. You have, you know, that maybe it's health for you. You've got all the money in the world, but your health is not where it needs to be. Or maybe it's relationships for you. You've got your health, you've got money, but you don't know how to get a relationship. You've been alone for many years. So you go in and out of relationships. Those are the ones I call chronic. Those are the ones that we have to go down into the subconscious mind to be able to release those things. And when you do, it's, it's like, how is it? It's like taking a dark pair of sunglasses off you never knew you even had on. Imagine that, okay? All of a sudden you can see things clearer. Things become brighter for you. You become more aware. That's what the work does when you are able to clear out the old rust that's down below. Thank you, Ken. I, I honestly cannot thank you enough. This has been an absolute gift for which I am deeply grateful. You are leaving us with uh, a wonderful tool that I know for a fact I'm going to use. And I think it will be beneficial to everybody. What, what a lovely gift to give people. Well, I, 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 I hope everybody enjoys that. And uh, Elaine, thank you for allowing me just to explore with you some of the gifts that I've been given over the years. And, you know, for me, um, I give all the glory back to God. I, go, I just give it to God. It's, this is to God. This isn't, this isn't about Ken. This isn't about how great Ken is. This is just the gifts that have been given to me as I felt the pain. I was willing to do the work to transition that pain into joy and into happiness and into a, into a life that I can look back from my rocking chair and go, you did the work. You felt the pain. You made the changes. And life got good as a result of that. Thanks for allowing me to be here today. Well, well, thank you so much. You are a gift and obviously a gift from God. And we thank God for that. 
I mean, and so are you. You are the gift. <laughs> You're the gift too, Elaine. Look at that joy and happiness in you. I love that. I love that. And you, yeah, you know, there's you a word in that. <laughs> Thank so you thank for you. that. Thank I you do appreciate that. I'm, I'm Elaine Lindsay, and this is Suicide, Zen, and Forgiveness. I look forward to seeing you next time. In the meanwhile, make the very best of your today every day. Bye for now. Thank you again, Ken. Hey, thanks. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.